This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. So glad to have you here on a Thursday drive. Even after Wake Forest loss in Raleigh last night, I've got a silver lining for Demon Deacon fans we'll get to shortly. But that can wait because the inevitable finally happened earlier today. Deshaun Watson put his name on it. It being the speculation we've heard the last couple of weeks that he wanted out of the Texans organization, he's officially asked for a trade. So let the games begin. And make no mistake, the Carolina Panthers are going to be seriously involved here. Serious players in trying to land Deshaun. It goes back to ownership. David Tepper loves to make splashes and loves to bet big. That's how he accrued his wealth. That's how he made his fortune. If you're unfamiliar, he was a hedge fund manager. And around the 2008 housing crisis, he made some bets that others weren't willing to make. I remember watching a speech of his from that time when he was first hired as Panthers owner. Not hired, I guess he bought the team. And in a 2010 speech, he recommended several risky investments to investors and business people that he had a platform speaking to. And some of those included European banks, Bank of America, Equity, You know, those are investments that nobody wanted to touch at that time because many of the experts thought there'd be depression and hyperinflation and uh, and none of that happened. None of that happened. And the only person who seemed to have saw it was Tepper. Tepper saw that his bet paid off in 2009. His hedge fund earned about $7 billion because he bought all those distressed financial stocks and... The banks bounced back. Tepper, at that point, had enough wealth to become a minority stake owner in the Steelers. Less than 10 years later, he became the owner of the Carolina Panthers, and at that point, he became the richest owner in the National Football League. Now, why do I tell you that? He gained his wealth by being aggressive, by taking risks, and giving away tons of draft picks, and mortgaging your future would be a massive risk, even for somebody as great as Deshaun Watson, who's had a couple of ACL tears, who's won, I think, just one playoff game in his career. You have a ton of needs already on your roster that you're probably not going to be able to fill traditionally if you give up a ton of draft picks and you give up a ton of your salary cap space for Watson. But that's the type of risk I think Tepper would be willing to take. Just look at some of the things he's done as Panthers owner. Nobody wanted to touch Eric Reed. He signed him, then went on television and called kneeling protesters patriotic before it was cool to start doing so. He was talking about, as soon as he owned the team, getting an MLS franchise. That was his opening press conference. We're going to get an MLS team. Well, Other cities had already laid out plans and been bidding for years. Tepper just said, what's it going to cost? $325 million? 
when the other expansion franchise owners paid $150 million? Yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'll just pay $325 million when everybody else pays $150 because I got it like that. He made it happen. He set his mind to it, and he figured out a way to do it. Hired Matt Rule. Didn't allow for him to get on a plane to see the Giants because he gave him a contract that no other first-year coach has ever gotten. No other first-time NFL coach got seven years, 63 mil. Tepper believed in it. He bet big. We don't even know what he paid Joe Brady. He was the hottest coach on the market. All of a sudden, he's Matt Rule's assistant. He's Matt Rule's offensive coordinator. Tepper, he likes making these splashes. And there wouldn't be a bigger splash in the National Football League than landing Deshaun Watson. And according to Adam Schefter, Watson would have a wide net of interest, teams he'd be willing to go to. This is from ESPN earlier today. I think the biggest point is Deshaun Watson is open to going to a lot of places. He would go to a lot of different places. He doesn't want to be in Houston anymore. He's done with the Texans. So the question is, where does he go? What would he accept? Who would he turn down? I think the Carolina Panthers would be a really appealing option to Deshaun. Because, to Adam's point, he has to approve of it. When he signed that massive contract last year, he signed with a no-trade clause. Which means, if... He didn't want to go to the Jets because they're the Jets or didn't want to go to another bad organization or for whatever reason just didn't want to go to the team they wanted to send him to, the highest bidder, so to speak. He could nix it. He has to have written consent of the trade before it's approved. That's what's in Deshaun Watson's contract. The Panthers would be an incredibly appealing option for Deshaun. He's from the South. He played college football two hours away from where the stadium sits. Joe Brady interviewed for the head coaching job in Houston. He'd be his play caller, an NFL caliber, NFL head coach caliber offensive coordinator. Oh, Carolina just signed Deshaun's former quarterback coach that you can find clips of him gushing about in Sean Ryan. It would be the best group of weapons Deshaun's had in his NFL career. And I say that understanding he had Deshaun or make it to DeAndre Hopkins for a few years. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, maybe Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey. That's pretty damn appealing what Carolina can offer. Then you got Scott Fitterer. See, David Tepper, he wants to make a splash, but don't you think Fitterer does too? Seattle was always in the mix for these trades. They made a big one last summer, bringing in Jamal Adams. That was a really good trade, I felt, for Seattle. Fitterer said at his opening press conference, we're going to be in on every deal. They're going to be aggressive. We're going to have an aggressive approach when it comes to building this roster. You don't think Fitterer taking a new opportunity, becoming a GM, doesn't want to make a splash saying, hey, I'm a general manager in this league now, and I just brought in the best player on the market. They have egos too. They want to try and make these things happen. So I do think Carolina is going to be a really serious player. Ian Rappaport agrees. He keeps bringing Carolina's name up. 
Bill Barnwell, one of the smartest football writers out there for ESPN, listed 17 teams, what they might pitch for Deshaun Watson, and he ranked them 1 through 17. And Carolina was the second most appealing scenario in Bill's estimation, only behind the Miami Dolphins. So this very well could happen. Let the games begin. The Panthers are going to be serious players in trying to land Deshaun Watson. Now for that silver lining for Wake basketball. Steve Forbes last night called the loss at NC State the most disappointed he's been since taking the job at Wake Forest. They were getting waxed when Devin Daniels went down with an injury. They were down 14 points. It looked like it was going to get a lot worse than that. Wake then rallied at that point. But Coach Forbes felt like the pressure should not have affected Wake Forest as much as it did. And they should not have had to have rallied at the end of that game. It should have been close throughout. But if you're a Wake Forest basketball fan, I just want you to take a look at your surroundings right now. Take a look at what Wake is going through. Because what we're currently seeing, it's not really good. But the good news is what you're looking at right now is the low point of Steve's first season at Wake. It's only going to go up from here. We have the headline that Ian DeBose, who hasn't played since the pause right after Thanksgiving, he's going to be returning to the Deacons lineup. That's really good news. This brutal gauntlet that Wake Forest has gone through to start ACC play, it's over. You had three games in a week to start ACC play after being off for a month and you had to play four consecutive teams ranked in the top 25, then programs called North Carolina, Pittsburgh off a win at Duke, or against Duke, and NC State last night. It wasn't easy. I think at the beginning of this, if you told me Wake Forest would have won one game, yeah, it sounds about right. Looking forward... You got the Miami Hurricanes, the beat-up Miami Hurricanes, one of the worst teams in the league, coming into the Joel Saturday at 2 o'clock. After that, you have Notre Dame, who isn't any good, and Boston College, who I believe is the worst team in the league. Those are the three easiest games on Wake Forest's schedule, and they're next, just as you're getting Ian DeBose in the lineup. That's a good spot for the Deeks. You got to admire the fight, even though they lost the game. Coach Forbes said this after beating Pittsburgh. Do not take the effort of these player, the effort these players are putting forth for granted. Don't do it because last year you didn't have it. The year before that you didn't have anything like this. As the Deeks were losing, it's just good to get some rewards in there. It didn't work out last night. I thought it was a terrible matchup for Wake Forest. I said it on the air. I didn't think this was going to go well when you consider Wake's in the bottom 100 in D1 basketball and turning the ball over and NC State is in the top 15 in America enforcing turnovers. So what happens? 21 turnovers for the Demon Deacons. If you were to tell me the Deacons turned it over 21 times, and they were 8 of 24 from 3, and on top of that, they fell behind the way that they did early on, and they still were within 5? I wanted to believe you. Of course, Devin Daniels going down, that's a big deal. But Wake Forest did the magic trick again. After being even on the boards against North Carolina a week ago, they were in the plus column 
on the glass against NC State. Why? Because this team plays really freaking hard. There's your silver lining. Even after a win, they're not getting complacent. They're still playing hard. Yes, it wasn't a great loss. There aren't good things. There aren't such things as great losses. But the silver lining is it gets better from here for the Deeks. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves to take herbal body baths to keep his skin supple and youthful looking. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Well, we feared the worst when Devin Daniels went down last night. It was one of those non-contact deals. Even though NC State won the game, it was a really noticeably uh, somber post-game press conference from Kevin Keats with DJ Funderburk and Jericho Hellams dropping by. And we all knew the reason why. Devin Daniels is just such an important player for the Wolfpack, and they were concerned about their teammate. They snapped the four-game losing streak. They beat Wake Forest by five. But Wake got back into the game only because Daniels wasn't in it. And we just got this from NC State, an update on Devin. He has suffered an ACL tear in his left knee. He's going to miss the remainder of the season. Devin led the team in points with 16.5, led the team in assists, led the team in steals, He's third on the team in rebounding. His field goal percentage of 48% ranks ninth in the conference. And he's also tied for the team lead with 19 three-pointers this year. Translation, he is the most important player on this team. NC State's best player. So with him, I didn't even know if NC State was going to make the NCAA tournament. I think they're the 8th, ninth, maybe 10th best team in the ACC currently. Joe Lenardi has six ACC teams getting in, and Pittsburgh is on the next four out line. So even with Daniels, I don't think they would have gotten in, but I think it would be close. Without Daniels, I just don't see it happening. They've lost four of the last five games. That's with Daniels in the lineup. It's... An incredibly tough deal. We're thinking about Devin. That's where our thoughts go first. He's the best player on this team, and I don't know who's going to step in and fill that void. It's hard to say Shaquille Moore or Cam Hayes, whether or not they're players who could step up as freshmen. Probably you'd think DJ Funderburk. Maybe you look at Helms, who had a good night last night, but Daniels was the alpha. He's a senior leader. This is an incredibly tough blow. We'll talk with Adam Gold in 10 minutes, who's going to join us as the Hurricanes return to action for the first time in a week and a half. He's at PNC Arena covering that game. Robert has a handful of quarterback alternatives for the Panthers to Teddy Bridgewater that they can explore this offseason that we'll explore in a second. But let's go to Stewart in Greensboro first. Your thoughts welcome at 336-777-1600 if you want in. Stewart, your thought on NC State Wake Forest last night. 
Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about the news of the NC State player. He he was very good, and you always hate to see that. Uh, so I am uh, sorry to hear that uh, for that young man. Um, but I think you got to tip your hat to uh, Curry for bringing in Forbes. And, I mean, the team is looking very good against Virginia Tech. And um, also uh, State and Carolina, they were right there, um, especially when they didn't really practice for weeks at a time. So you got to give uh, both Curry and Forbes a lot of credit. Uh, I like that point guard uh, that Forbes brought in. Um, he reminds me a little He's got a little bit of a Raymond Felton in him. Uh, where he's kind of difficult to deal with, and he has the passion for the game like uh, former weight great Kenny Herbst. Who oh, yeah. loved playing the game. <laughs> and uh, I really like that that point guard. Yeah, yeah. Davian Williamson, drive it to the basket. Thanks for the call, Stuart. That Kenny Herbst, loud clapper, intense Wake fan. Things are going to get better for the Deeks soon. You mentioned their fight. Next three games, the easiest three ACC games they're going to face this year, Miami, Notre Dame, and Boston College. Let's move on to the Panthers, though. Deshaun Watson, he's asking for a trade. That's the big news of the day, so we're thinking about what the Panthers can do at quarterback this offseason. Robert has been thinking on this for the last hour and a half or so. What do you got for me, Robert? You've got three different alternatives for Carolina to Teddy Bridgewater, and then you described it before the timeout as an A and B situation. What am I looking at first? Uh, I guess we can start with the obvious, and that's Deshaun Watson. I think that's the prize that most Panther fans would want, and I think that that three-first-round uh, three pick asking price is pretty accurate. So you would have to give up the eighth, a 2022 first, a 2023 first, and I think a second, not this year, but next year, Okay, would get the Panthers Watson. And you're not getting any picks? No picks back. in return. Okay. So three first-rounders and your second-round pick next year to get the Sean. Correct. I think whatever you can give up to get the Sean, you do it. That's, that's how I feel. I believe that because if you have the quarterback, you have a chance. If Carolina almost made the playoffs with this roster with Teddy Bridgewater this year, then regardless of what you're unable to do with the cap and with your draft picks, you're almost at least with decent coaching and management guaranteed getting to the playoffs every year. That is worth whatever you can give up to get. So that's without a doubt. Deshaun Watson, if you can do it, you do it. And the reason they're not getting any picks back, I think that makes the Panthers' off, uh, offer a little more intriguing. If they're like, look, we just want Watson. You don't have to send us any picks. We'll send you the picks. You just give us the goods. Uh, moving on to the Lions, I think giving up Teddy, giving up – I know you don't want to give up a first this year, but I think the Lions would want immediate value and not want to risk Stafford going somewhere where they're going to play themselves into a playoff and, not, and have a low 20s pick. So it's going to be Teddy – the eighth this year, and a third round next year for Stafford and a fourth round next year? I don't do it. I don't do it. I would say it has to be a first rounder next year. And I think if Watson is still untraded, you might have some of that value driven down for Stafford. And if it's a good enough situation like being paired with Joe Brady, see, he doesn't have a no-trade clause, so... Detroit, they they can go to the highest bidder if they want to. I think 
it would have to be a future first if I'm Carolina, if it's Stafford. But I do think that's something Carolina needs to explore because if you do get the right deal, you might have the best value with Stafford, even with Watson on the market. What's the next one? Uh, the next one is pretty simple. You just stay put at eight and you draft Trey Lance. I think he's the quarterback, in my opinion, that is most likely to be there. Uh, it's not sexy, but you don't give up any assets and you stay put. Mel Kiper has Carolina taking Lance at number eight. I don't like it. Yeah, me neither. I don't like it because we only have one season of sample size. And that only season of sample size we have is at FCS. And he hasn't played. The next time he'd play a competitive snap preseason, if we have it this year, would be 20 months after the previous time he's played a competitive game. Don't give me that whatever that garbage exhibition was last year. I'm not counting that. So, Trey Lance, I'd say that's a no. Give me the A and B scenario to close out these proposals you have. And I'll even put a C there, but uh, these last ones are involving the Carolina Panthers trading up in the draft to try to secure a quarterback. And I have an A and a B of this, depending on how far you would like to trade up and how much you would (laughs) like to give up. The red pill or the blue pill? Uh, You could start off with trading up to Philly. That's moving up two spots. And in the trade value chart, which I feel is the most reliable and what you would give up to what you would give. Bill Polian, I think, did that, right? Uh, I'm not sure who did it, but it it rings pretty true even today uh philly's pick is worth 1600 points the panthers is worth 1400 that translates to the panthers giving up the eighth overall and a third rounder to move up to six and i think you could get justin fields there moving just in front of detroit snagging him either fields or wilson depending on what the evaluation is sure and that's what the c is i don't think you can get wilson at six i feel like he's going to go higher than that and if you really want wilson i think you're going to have to trade up to miami at three And they would be the most willing team to trade down. Uh, Using that same trade value chart, 2,200 compared to 1,400, that would involve the Panthers giving up their first three rounds of picks in this year's draft to move up to number three to select Zach Wilson. What would giving up this year's first and next year's first get you on that chart? Uh, I, I don't have the chart in front of me right now, but it would depend where the Panthers were picking. After you go from after the top 15, the value drops very quickly. So if the Panthers didn't have a top 15 pick, I would imagine they would still have to give up maybe a third somewhere in there. Okay, I, I'm i not a Fields guy. Well, this so is for I'd Zach no, Wilson. I'd say no on Fields, but for Wilson, I'd do it because that's assuming the coaches, they evaluate him and they believe he's the guy. Exactly. I don't think that's the best option, though. I still think there's a lot of good value with Stafford that you can figure out. I like that more than drafting a quarterback and giving up assets to do so. Watson, obviously, is the best thing on the board, right? If you can get Watson, you do it. But some think the second best option might be sitting at eight or trading up in the draft, which I think is a slap in the face to Stafford, who you know what you're getting with him. And what you're getting is somebody, I think, if he was the quarterback last year, you're in the playoffs. If you think that sounds asinine, well, Chicago made the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. How many close games did Carolina play in? If you upgrade the quarterback position with Stafford over Teddy, I think that team's a playoff team in Matt Rule's first year and would make the playoffs this year hands down. I know we're running out of time, but 4C here. If we're giving up three first-rounders, 
why not just check and see with Jacksonville what it costs to go up and get Lawrence? They won't do it. I know they won't do it, but if you had the option, three first-rounders for Deshaun Watson or three first-rounders for Trevor Lawrence, who would you go with? Wow. Watson. I'd go with Watson, even though I know it's more expensive to do so, because regardless of what people say, oh, this guy's the next Andrew Luck and all of it, there is still always an uncertainty when guys transition from college to pro. There always has been that, and Trevor has been surrounded with so much talent at Clemson, and the ACC hasn't been the strongest league all throughout his tenure. So I, Watson's more of a sure thing. If I'm giving up three first-round draft picks, you better be the guy. And there's no doubt Watson is. There's little doubt that Trevor Lawrence is, but there's still a little doubt there. I'm not giving up three first-round picks if there's a little bit of doubt. Okay. Live at PNC Arena. Adam Gold, he's going to update us on the Canes, but he's also going to tell us what's for dinner. Send us in your dinner menu tonight, and Adam will grade it on Twitter at Josh Graham Radio, on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. Heck, call Robert right now at 336-777-1600. We'll have Adam grade your dinner and tell us what's going on with the Canes next on The Drive. Now comes the moment you have all been waiting for. All right, whenever you're ready. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Robert tells me we're now being joined by a freezing Adam Gold inside PNC Arena where he's getting set for the Hurricanes' first home hockey game in nearly 11 months as they get set for the Tampa Bay Lightning who project to be one of the best teams in the league again this year after winning the Stanley Cup. Robert says that he's describing Adam as wearing a knitted hat as he gets ready to grade your dinner meals. Send those in at Sports Hub Triad at Josh Graham Radio what you're eating for dinner. AG, there's no snow to talk about really from last night. You've covered hockey for a very long time. How the hell are you cold right now? It's it's freezing in here. I'm wearing a toque. And there's there's no body heat in this building to absorb some of it. I mean, like it feels like it's 40 degrees to me. When is the last time you I'm were in the building for a, for any sporting event? Uh, last hockey game that I saw at PNC Arena was exactly 11 months ago. It's February 28th. I saw you in Greensboro. I was not here for hockey. Oh, I, I thought you meant PNC Arena. Oh, I just meant any sporting event. Did you catch any football games this fall? No. No, no, no. I don't go to football games. Adam Gold's on Twitter at a gold fan. Canes getting set for the lightning. I hear some beautiful can you singing. Hear the national yeah, I can hear. Uh, tell Alec Campbell to keep it down in the background. Uh, so I don't know who that is tonight. But we have we're testing the national anthem here. Oh, it's not Alec Campbell. I thought it was. No, no, no. He doesn't. He sings the Canadian national anthem only. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson now because he's in the news. David Tepper strikes me as somebody. That's going to be very aggressive because that's who he is. That's how he accrued his wealth when he bet on what were very risky stocks, very risky uh, investments, 
during the housing right. crisis about 12 years ago. He's the richest owner in the NFL. He's got what's described to be bleep you money. Can he, he can he Take find that. a way to land Deshaun Watson? Well, you know, can he? Of course. I mean, the uh, it won't it won't take his money really. It'll just simply take draft capital to get Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans. But here's here's the thing that I keep getting, uh, and I hope uh, the fact that they're testing all the arena uh, sound machine here. I enjoy uh, it. No, oh, they stopped. They stopped. Like here, but here's the thing about going after Deshaun Watson. If you go get Deshaun Watson. It's going to cost you a lot of draft cap. It's going to cost you number eight. It's going to cost you next year's one. It's probably going to cost you the following year's one. So they don't, they're not blessed with you know, tons of draft picks. They have, oh, I don't know, seven positions they need to address. So you can go out and get Deshaun Watson, but are you going to be able to put a team around him to take advantage of Deshaun Watson? And I keep getting, I mentioned this today, I keep getting to the fact that the Indianapolis Colts wasted Andrew Luck. The Carolina Panthers wasted Cam Newton by not being able to have a good enough team around him. So are you going to give up all that and then go out and get Deshaun Watson? And he's great, but it's going to be limited how much he can elevate you anyway. I, I still think that if, if they had more draft capital, they had like what the Dolphins have or what the Jets have, to give up in terms of draft capital, and you can still, uh, you know, go in the draft and get a whole bunch of players. I'd be all about it. I just don't think it's a good move for them. What do you think is the most appealing alternative Carolina can make this offseason at quarterback to Teddy? If I gave you these options, you mentioned the three first round picks it would require, and also Teddy Bridgewater to bring in Deshaun Watson. If I said for next year's first and this year's second or third rounder you can get Matthew Stafford. I'll throw that into the into the pot as well. You can stay at number 8 and draft a quarterback or trade up and get the second best guy on the board. What does Adam Gold think if you're going to make a move at quarterback to figure out what the future beyond Teddy is is the most appealing best value alternative? I mean, it, it might be Stafford, but I think if I think any move you, you're making for an established quarterback is going to cost you number eight this year. Um, so it's kind of moot. And you know, if if Detroit would take number eight for Stafford, I'd consider it if that was all it is. But and, you know, look, I, I probably approach this differently than a lot of people because I think that one of the problems with the NFL and the way teams go about their business is. They overvalue quarterbacks in every single draft. They put them on the field before they belong on the field, and then they they wipe their hands clean with them and get rid of them before they've really given them a chance. They give they they rush these quarterbacks on the field. I'd actually I think the best move the Panthers can make is let Teddy run it back, go about the business of building your team around him, and then add the quarterback when you're ready. Uh, they need what three offensive linemen. Uh, a tight end, uh, two linebackers, uh, a quarterback, maybe another defensive. They need so much. I mean, you got to have. You want to. David Tepper wants a team that's going to win every year. I mean, you just have to build it. You can't. You you can't just go out and swing one deal and think it's there. 
He's on Twitter at a gold fan. Listen to the Adam Gold Show noon to three right here on Sports Hub Dryad. All right, let's figure out what's for dinner. What's on the menu at PNC Arena? There is nothing on the menu at PNC Arena. Not even Zero. Sour Patch Kids or M&Ms? No. It, no I'm, you know, first of all, the uh, because there is really no press row um, sitting at the top of Section 102, which I have actually love the vantage point here. Uh, but I have, let's see, I've got uh, some hand sanitizer. I can drink that. I've got a third of a bottle left of Dasani water, and I have a package of cranberry trail mix. Are you planning to eat anything later? I ate on the way over here. Oh! I swung through. I swung through cookout and wow. grabbed a, uh, a, a a burger um, steak style, grilled okay. onions, a one sauce, pretty good. Did you get a milkshake? Okay. I'm I was about crazy, to say dude. I was about to say that probably would explain if you were really cold if you got a milkshake from Cookout while it is freezing it's outdoors. Pretty- Robert, give uh Adam your dinner dish tonight for him to grade. Adam, you're gonna be so jealous. I think we're going with a uh, Sam's pizza. Throw it right in the oven and uh that's gonna be dinner. Who's Sam? Uh Sam's like the Sam's Costco. He's got a club. Oh really? That pizza? Oh uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, you don't get out much, do you? Only to Sam's to sh- grocery shop. Okay. I had. I mean, there's there's no help in that, Josh. Sorry. I had a Costco. I had Costco hot dogs for dinner last night, um, and and a side salad tonight. A we're side also salad. What are you talking about? <laughs> two, two Costco hot dogs and a side salad. That's right. I had a Caesar salad. I got a Caesar salad. They had the like kit there, the kit that you make, and I, I just threw it all in the bo- in, in the container, and yeah, I had a salad with the hot dogs. You threw the hot dogs in there too. Oh, not the hot dog in there, but you know what I'm talking about. That uh, would be next level. Uh, I can't even. We're going homemade pizza tonight, Adam, with very nice sausage and pepperoni on top. Do you uh, do you make your own dough? No. Well, you should do that. Okay. Next time, maybe. And we have brownies for dessert. That's the plan. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Adam Gold, you uh, you stay warm. Maybe maybe get yeah, another. Hey, if you get bored before uh, puck drop, maybe you can knit yourself another cap to wear that's warmer. I've got a sweater. I've got a toque. I've got a leather jacket. I should have brought my gloves in. I didn't. I'm gonna crawl uh, into my uh, into my leather bag here and see if I can keep one. Talk to you tomorrow on the roundtable, buddy. Word. Looking forward to. It. He's on Twitter at a gold fan. You can catch me. I think right before we go on the air because that's when he asked me to come on conveniently. Hey, Josh. Right before you're about to come on the air, how about you hang out with Hayes Permar and I? Okay. So we're gonna do that tomorrow. Uh, noon to three, you can listen to the Adam Gold Show. Follow him on Twitter at AGoldFan for updates for the Canes and the Lightning later on tonight. Ready? Yes. Punch up the audio for me now. <laughs> You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. We'll get back to the ACC football schedule release from this morning. Look at some of the other ACC Big Four teams, what they have slated for later this calendar year. But 
let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We still have a month and change left in the regular season for the college basketball season. We got an NCAA tournament that's going to be held only in Indianapolis. Maybe we could get to the ACC tournament as well with our next guest, who's a Hall of Fame sports writer, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, who also does stuff with the Big Ten Network. And that's kind of where I want to begin because there was the CBS sports report from Norlander last week that said there are many people in college basketball worried about what February might bring when it comes to potential stoppages and disruptions for college basketball. Michigan, of course, had the two-week pause that some student-athletes are pushing against, wanting to have overturned. Mike, given all the information you've received, how optimistic are you for college basketball approaching the finish line as we get set to turn the calendar to February? Well, you know, I have done a lot of interviews, as you might be, as you might not be surprised to learn, over the course of the last three, four months. And, and one of the things that I, I get a lot of is, you know, if there is an NCAA tournament or if we get, and, and, and I'm always like, no, no, there, there is no condition here. We have made it to the end of every season as, from a, in the sporting world. Every season that we have attempted to maneuver through, we have done. Uh, Major League Soccer, uh, Major League Baseball, NFL, the NBA and NHL bubbles, college football. We have not made. We have not failed to reach the end of any of those. So this one's not going to be any different. I mean, it's different, but it's not. The, the conclusion is not going to be different. It's just a question of how much, how, how much, how, how many interruptions there will be along the way, and, and and how the sport at large copes with that. And and so I'm not pessimistic at all about February because we've got through January. And January was very difficult in a lot of ways, uh, but we're seeing uh, overall the virus numbers go down. I read a piece in the New York Times today uh, that said they're down 35% nationally. Hospitalizations are going down. And so I, I, what, I, what I would like to say about this is that I'm, I feel there's some vindication in, in having believed that it would have been a mistake to put the season on pause and pick it up in March or April or May or whenever the idea was to do that. I thought that was a mistake at the time. I did not, I did not buy the idea that we would all be vaccinated uh, in time for it, to, uh, for it to seriously affect the college basketball season. And unfortunately, that's turned out to be, uh, you know, my, my lack of optimism understated how poorly it's, the vaccinations have gone. My concern is the first two weeks of March. What, what, how will those look? What will the big conferences do? Uh, what, what, what approach will they take? Will, will anybody try to opt out? And how, you know, how will we view those who d- decide to, to opt out if anyone does? You're talking about the conference tournament where you had ACC coaches earlier this week saying, I think Chris Mack said that, that's a question that will be answered when we get closer to the ACC tournament, talking about opt-outs, and Jeff Capel went as far to say that there are going to be teams opting out of conference tournaments, knowing that they're a shoe-in for it. What do you make of that? You know, I broke a story uh, last night. Uh, I got a hold of the document that's been presented to teams that 
I, I, I don't know whether they sent it to like number 350 or whatever, uh, but I know, I know that at least the teams that are, that are involved in the pursuit of uh, an NCAA tournament bid have been sent this document, uh, and, and it outlines how that procedure will work. Those seven consecutive tests uh, begin, I believe, on March 6th and end on March 13th, I think it is. Uh, but it's what's interesting is that in the in the document it suggests to those teams. Let's say you are a team that's being projected by people like me and Lenardi and Palm as a six seed or something. And let's say you do play in your conference tournament and you lose in the quarterfinals, uh, which would be on either a Thursday or a Friday, depending on what league you're in. Uh, they're telling you stay where you are, don't go home. Uh, stay, stay where you are and plan for the, to move from wherever that is, whether it's the ACC tournament, SEC tournament, Big Ten, Big Pac-12, whatever, and plan to move from there on to Indianapolis. That, so I guess basically they're telling you if you are a tournament candidate and you're getting on your bus or plane to your conference tournament, you better be ready to be gone for a month. Uh, that's what they're telling it. And so they're expecting people to compete in their conference tournaments. And I don't know what the reaction would be from the committee if someone said, you know what, we're not playing. I, I don't know how that would be handled. I, I, it, it, I have a concern about that because it speaks to the integrity of the competition. If someone that's clearly favored, the, the, the number one, you know, the, the regular season champion, clear favorite to win their conference tournament, sits out that tournament, how, how viable is that competition? Uh, that, I, have, I have real concerns about that. Uh, at that point, you're giving an automatic bid to what is not necessarily the competition it's advertised to be. And I would, be, I, I would, I would wonder if there might be, a, um, if there might be some, uh, some way, some mechanism where the committee could send a, a memo and say, look, if, you're, if your conference tournament doesn't have all eligible participants, all invited eligible participants involved, you know, we're not going to honor the automatic bid or something like that. I, I think that has to be something that's considered uh, because I do think that teams choosing not to compete in those and, and, and that those being the venue through which automatic bids are earned, it, it does speak to the legitimacy of the competition. He's on Twitter at TSN, Mike, Hall of Fame sports writer from the Sporting News. Mike DeCourcy is with us here on Sports Hub Triad. I want to close talking about movies. Unlike college basketball, things have been pushed back when it comes to the Oscars from the last week of February to the last week of April. So I think the deadline to have movies in and viewed and such for the committee to review or the Oscars to review the Academy, I should say, uh, is the last week of February now. So things hopefully are going to be ramping up where you see movies promoted, and I'm excited about it. I know you love movies. Tell me the last movie you've watched that you would recommend to the audience. As a matter of fact, the last movie I watched uh, was on Amazon Prime. Uh, and, and I think... Uh, if it, you know, if this had not been the circumstance that it is, I, I suspect I would have seen that movie in a theater, probably an independent theater, but I suspect I would have. It's called uh, One Night in Miami. It, it's, it's a tremendous movie based on a play um, uh, it, that, that imagines what took place 
after the first Cassius Clay Sonny Liston fight in Miami, which I believe was '64. Yep. Uh, Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, and Malcolm X together in a hotel room uh, discussing the civil rights movement, uh, Clay's ascent, Sam Cooke's uh, stardom, uh, Jim Brown's uh, consideration of, of, of an acting career, all of those items. Uh, it's really well done, uh, unbelievably well acted. Uh, I was very impressed uh, by the gentleman who portrayed Ali. I thought he got his ring movements down and his speech patterns down. Uh, Leslie Odom's a wonderful performer who won a Tony uh, playing Aaron Burr in Hamilton. I got a chance to see him there uh, then, and he did it. I can't imagine someone doing a better job with Sam Cooke's. I think Sam Cooke is one of the greatest singers who ever lived, and uh, not so not not easy shoes to step into, and I thought Leslie Odom did a wonderful job with that. It's a it's a great movie. I think I'm gonna watch One Night in Miami tomorrow night. Look forward to doing that. Mike DeCourcy, it's good to hear from you, man, for the first time in 2021. I know we'll be catching up before the NCAA tournament gets here in March. Thanks for doing this. Stay safe. Keep up the great work. You too, Josh. Thank you. You got it. That's Mike DeCourcy on Twitter at TSN Mike.